This is New England Public Radio's Jazz Beat. I'm Tom Reaney with a podcast edition of my jazz blog, which you can find at nepr.net. This edition of Jazz Beat is devoted to Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul, who died on Thursday, August 16th. My Aretha Franklin vigil began with the news of August 13th that she'd entered hospice, and I promptly wrote a blog in tribute to her. Then on what proved to be the eve of her death, I listened to her on a three-hour drive to Cape Cod and could hardly contain myself. Hers is simply the most powerful and versatile voice of my lifetime. The line that's resonated most for me over the past two weeks is from her 1968 song, Since You've Been Gone, Sweet Sweet Baby, where Aretha pleads, if you walk in that door, I can get up off my knees. For as deeply and inexorably as she was tied to the civil rights and women's liberation movements, Martin Luther King was a family friend at whose funeral she sang, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, Respect, Galvanize Feminists. Her music was largely about the wages of love and the pain of abandonment. Since You've Been Gone underscores a simple note of appreciation sent last week by a 70-year-old female friend. Boy, did she ever get me through some tough times. Aretha's power laid not only in her supremely soulful singing, but in the deep blues and gospel harmonies that grounded her piano playing and inspired her voice to soar to its spine-tingling heights. I was 14 when I became aware of Lady Soul through her breakthrough AM radio hits I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You and Respect, and she remained my number one for at least the next half dozen years. I became a fairly hardened blues and jazz convert during that period and found little to embrace on the pop charts. But let's face it, 
There's a particular vulnerability that virtually all teenagers face, and the music business aims for it with laser-like precision. While I did my best to hide it away by hanging as deep in the grown-up musical alley as I could get, Aretha always pulled me closer to something resembling my true adolescent self. Her updating of the Ben E. King classic Don't Play That Song For Me has long impressed me as the epitome of Ree's unique skill at combining gospel gravitas and pop sentimentality, a unique blend that made her music and soul music in general so powerfully incisive and broadly appealing. wasn't the first R&B singer to pull me in, but I regard her as the figure whose musicianship and pedigreed background as the daughter of the famed Reverend C.L. Franklin made her the ideal conveyor of gospel-infused pop to the mainstream. Dinah Washington, Ray Charles, Solomon Burke, Etta James, Lou Rawls, and others paved the way, but Aretha took it to the masses. Here she is at the age of 14, accompanying herself at the piano on her gospel album Songs of Faith. Like her father, whose best-selling sermons, The Eagle Stirreth His Nest and The Resurrection, were released on Chess Records, the teenage Doretha made her debut for the Chicago-based label that's synonymous with modern blues. was the most successful and least controversial of the gospel singers who made the transition to secular music. Ray Charles and Dinah Washington were denounced for blurring the distinctions between the sacred and the sensual, and the gospel world despaired over Sam Cooke's departure from the soul stirrers to the top of the charts. But notwithstanding his prominence as a Baptist minister, C.L. Franklin welcomed jazz and R&B greats, including Dinah Washington, Art Tatum, Oscar Peterson, Nat King Cole, and James Brown to the family home in Detroit, 
and the Mississippi-born preacher respected the blues as a secular counterpart of the gospel tradition. As Aretha wrote in a 1961 column for the Amsterdam News, After all, the blues is a music born out of the slavery day sufferings of my people. Of his friendship with B.B. King, Aretha said, My daddy is B.'s preacher, and B. is my daddy's blues man. It's a beautiful thing. Here she is singing B.B.'s biggest hit, The Thrill is Gone. Jerry Wexler, her producer at Atlantic Records, told her biographer David Ritz, Listen to her deep-fried, deep-funk piano solo on Thrill is Gone, and you'll understand why I begged her to do an instrumental album. As Aretha's 60-year-long career illustrated, she had broad musical tastes. She told Terry Gross on Fresh Air that she loved the jazz great Charlie Parker, whose record she listened to in her girlhood home, and said that when she and her sisters heard their friend and mutual heartthrob Sam Cooke on the car radio singing his first pop hit, You Send Me, in 1959, pandemonium broke out between them, and their driver pulled to the side of the road until the girls composed themselves. Aretha sang numerous classic and contemporary blues during her Columbia and Atlantic years in the 60s, and here she is in Sweden singing Nightlife. B.B. King's version of the tune from his 1966 nightclub album Blues is King has long been the definitive take on this blues ballad written by Willie Nelson. But Aretha's beautifully sung performance of it in Sweden floors me now, especially with her added verse about how love exacts a high price from those who've lost, but they might not have loved at all if they had known they couldn't pay the cost.
Aretha's watershed moment in music came in 1967 with the release of her Atlantic Records debut, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. Like Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, B.B. King's Live at the Regal, and Bob Dylan's Highway 61 Revisited, it was a pivotal album that marked a commercial and artistic turning point, one that in her case drew heavily on her gospel background and superb gift for self-accompaniment. Under her father's guidance, Aretha had signed with Columbia Records in 1960, where the legendary talent scout John Hammond groomed her as a jazz-oriented pop singer and produced a series of albums that drew on a potpourri of songs and styles. Precious few strike one as quintessential Aretha, but there are numerous gems among them, including this brilliant performance of Hoagie Carmichael's Skylark. Skylark Have you anything to say to me? Won't you Is there a meadow in the mist Where someone's waiting to be kissed Have you seen a valley green with spring Where my heart can go a journey In 1966, when she was dropped by Columbia, Jerry Wexler, who'd spent his career at Atlantic mining rhythm and blues, a term he coined in 1948, was ready with a contract that included what Aretha told Terry Gross was a big bonus. He also had a vision for Ree that was founded on an understanding that the root of her genius was in gospel music, that the best way to tap into it was to sit her at the piano, and that she had songwriting gifts that had largely gone untapped by Columbia. Of this early period, Newport Jazz Fest founder George Ween observed the true measure of her talent was not yet apparent to the uneducated ear. But the scruffy, streetwise Wexler had a much better sense of her true measure, which he saw first in her eyes. I think of Aretha as Our Lady of Mysterious Sorrows, he wrote in his memoir, Rhythm and the Blues. Her eyes are incredible, luminous eyes covering inexplicable pain. Her depressions could be as deep as the dark sea. I don't pretend to know the sources of her anguish, but anguish surrounds Aretha as surely as the glory of her musical aura. He also knew enough to let her sing without interference from the control booth. She didn't need anyone's critique, he said. Her taste was flawless. She was only 24 and yet had the poise, authority, and confidence of someone who had been singing for 60 years. Her voice was young and vital, but it also came from a place of ancient secret wisdom. Wexler would have caught a glimpse of that aura three years before her Atlantic debut, when Aretha played piano and gave a strong hint of what was to come on an appearance that she made on the Steve Allen Show. The guitarist backing her in that performance was the great Herb Ellis, who'd spent five years with the Oscar Peterson trio. Like his seasoned colleagues on the band, he applauds the 22-year-old Aretha here at the end of Won't Be Long.
I'd first look forward to seeing Aretha at the Newport Jazz Festival in July 1971. But a storming of the gates by hippies demanding free admission on Saturday night ended the fest before Aretha, Miles Davis, T-Bone Walker, Les McCann, Duke Ellington, and many others appeared that weekend. The disappointment my friends and I felt that night over the fest's sudden demise is something we still discuss. And in his memoir, Myself Among Others, George Ween wrote that Aretha was let down too. Atlantic Records executive Neswi Erdogan, he said, noted that Aretha Franklin was especially sorry about the canceled performance as she had rehearsed four new songs with saxophonist King Curtis on Saturday afternoon. As it happened, my next chance to see Aretha came several weeks later when she appeared in a Summer Thing concert on Boston Common on September 15, 1971. But by that time, King Curtis, who'd been backing Ree with his band The Kingpins and had recorded the classic album Aretha Live at the Fillmore West with her in March of that year, had been stabbed to death by drug dealers outside an apartment building he owned on New York's Upper West Side. His passing was another in the terrible succession of premature deaths then shaking the music world, and there's no telling the impact it had on Aretha. But she gave her all in Boston that night, where her set included a natural woman, the song she'd introduced with such tender conviction on her album Lady Soul. The Queen of Soul famously elicited a tear from President Obama when she sang a natural woman at the Kennedy Center Honors in 2015. The song's composer, Carol King, was an honoree, and for an article on Aretha that David Remnick wrote for The New Yorker, King recalled how the song came about. In 1967, King and her husband and songwriting partner Jerry Goffin were walking down Broadway when Jerry Wexler pulled up beside them in a limousine and said, I'm looking for a really big hit for Aretha. How about writing a song called A Natural Woman? They completed the assignment overnight. King added, I hear these songs in my head, where they might go, how they might sound, but I don't have the chops to do it myself so it was like witnessing a dream realized. My favorite performance of A Natural Woman is from Aretha's appearance at the Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland on July 12, 1971, one of the stops on the whirlwind tour she made through the first eight months of that year with King Curtis. Somebody came along, came along to play. 
I saw Aretha only once more. It was 32 years later, on June 7, 2003, at a concert in Hartford. I've seen many established musicians over the years rise to unanticipated levels of brilliance long after they could have mailed it in. But Ree's Bushnell Theater performance will always stand as the ultimate in exceeding my wildest expectations. Here's what I wrote about it the following morning. We saw Aretha last night at the Bushnell. She gave a spectacular 90-minute performance. Two keyboards, four backup singers deputized occasionally as percussionists, a big band augmented by members of the Hartford Symphony Orchestra. Besides the latter, she called the names and hometowns of all the band members, a nice touch a la Duke Ellington. Her son Teddy, a favorite of the ladies, plays real good guitar. On respect, she sang Ain't Gonna Do You Wrong, then dropped a register to add a raspy, because I don't wanna. There's something about seeing masters like Aretha add a little something extra that really raises the goose flesh. She opened with the blues, then sang The House That Jack Built, Chain of Fools and Ain't No Way, as though she was taking part in a gospel caravan. She accompanied herself at the piano for Spirit in the Dark, which was pure church. 
On the ride down to Hartford, we talked about Otis Redding and how much we all dug his ballads, so it really blew us away when she dropped Try a Little Tenderness on us early in the show. She is indisputably the queen of soul, one of the wonders of music, and she wasn't resting on any laurels last night. She looked good, seemed to dig the Hartford vibe, engaged several of the front row patrons, managed some nice moves, and came stage left, about 15 feet from me, on just about every song. She laid an aria on us, and the pop standards I'll be seeing you, and if ever I would leave you. She sang complete versions of everything, no medleys. As she enters and departs, a video screen displays a photo album of her career, shots with celebrities, with Jerry Wexler and the Erdogan brothers, a few with our first black president, as Toni Morrison calls Bill Clinton, and one with Martin Luther King Jr. that puts it all in perspective. Thanks to Katie Wright for production assistance. For additional podcasts from NEPR and more about Aretha Franklin, visit NEPR.net. For Jazz Beats, I'm Tom Reedy. Oh, yeah. The man who made me free. Oh, yeah. It was a